0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: You know, perhaps the Lord was getting their attention. You know, now they lose... Twenty-two and now 18,000. That's 40,000 men in two days they've lost. And they should have overwhelmed the enemy. But all throughout this time, they weren't really walking with the Lord. Except in this battle, there's some semblance of them trying to get back to doing the right thing. But, you know, there's so much stuff that they've been involved in. And God, for reasons we don't always know, allowed them to go through this humiliating defeat when it should have been a very quick operation.
0: Hi everyone, we're so glad that you could join us today on Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learned that God allowed the two days of defeat for the purpose of bringing Israel low. They needed to be humbled, and these days of defeat compelled them to humble themselves. God used this to humble the whole nation. They had to understand. That the horror of the crime in Gibeah was not merely the result of sin of one group of men, or one city, or even one tribe. The whole nation had to be humbled because they first thought that the sin problem was only in Benjamin. Israel had to see that their nation as a whole had a sin problem. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson.
1: Men who draw with their right hand, who they, they know they're very comfortable battling with somebody who's coming at a sword from this vantage point. Does that make sense? But they're not prepared for somebody who has a sword in the other hand. It throws everything off. Unless you know that your, your, your enemy is a southpaw or whatever they call it. What is it, a northpaw, southpaw? Yeah, a That That's what, you know, if you don't know you're the guy you're in the ring with and he's a southpaw and you're expecting all these right jabs, it's going to be over in one round. And so they weren't prepared for this. But Ehud was one of those men. He was a Benjamite, a left handed man. And he, he was able to bring a, a victory for the children of Israel when he slayed Ehud, or I'm sorry, um, Eglon, the king of Moab. And the king never saw it coming, because he was, and they didn't even check to look for, look for weapons on him because they were out looking on the right side, looking on his right side, thinking they'd find something. But underneath his coat, he had something on his right side, which is very uncommon, so they didn't even look. So they, he goes in pretty much unnoticed and kills King uh, Eglon and secures the victory for Israel and so becomes a a judge of Israel. But that was back in the very beginning. So now we have these 700 men from Benjamin. It says in verse 17, Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. So the men of Israel, verse 18, arose, and they went up to the house of God. Now this is a good sign, because after all, they haven't been consistent, but the Bible mentions that they did go up. They did go up to the to the tabernacle in Bethel, and they, they inquire of God. And they said, which of us should go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? And probably through the Urim and Thummim, those two rocks that the high priest would have in his, in his ephod, they probably d- divine that by that way and, and discern God's um, uh, choice by that. Uh, the Lord said, Judah first. Judah first. And notice, it's good that they did this. There's, there's a glimmer of hope now <laughs> that they would seek the Lord in this. Very encouraging. And um, we're going to see them inquiring of the Lord in verse 23 and then in, in verses 26 through 28. And um, it's interesting, though, that the Lord had Judah go up first. We've seen this before in the Scripture. In the very beginning of Judges, you remember after the death of Joshua, it says in, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 1, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. And, and remember, Judah has always been the lawgiver. It's the one that uh, Jesus Christ ultimately would come through. It's the one who David would come through the line of Judah, and ultimately Jesus Christ. And so Judah was a leader, and so God uh, used uh, uh, Judah to go first into these battles, into these different things. And you can look at Genesis 49 and just see how Jacob prophesied over his sons, over Judah, and ultimately it prophesies, ultimately, of Jesus Christ coming into the world through Mary. And... um, Verse 19, it says, So the children of Israel, they rose in the morning and encamped against Gebeah. And this is an interesting thing. It says, The men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gebeah. And um, Gabeah is, uh, again, just uh, a little bit north of, of Jerusalem. And about halfway between Jerusalem and, and Mizpah. And so verse 21, the children of Benjamin, they came out of Gabeah, and on that day they cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. I find that crazy, don't you? There's a, an army of at least 360,000 men going against 26,700 men, and the odds are so against them. But you know, sometimes when there's a lot of numbers, people get lazy. They're thinking, ah, oh, we're going to, the guys in the back are like, and by the time we get up there, it's going to be over with, right? Maybe they were thinking that. I don't really know. But then again, those 700 men from Benjamin are coming out, drawing with their left hand and totally throwing everybody off. I'm sure they put those guys right in the front because they were not expecting that. And uh, certainly that probably didn't bode well for them. So the first time, the first day, they lose 22,000 men of the Israelites and the people, that is the men of Israel, they encouraged themselves and again they formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. And I love this. The children of Israel, they do. They went up and they wept before the Lord. They're probably saying, how can this happen? These guys are clearly in sin. We're going to take retribution. We're going to do the right thing. Actually, it really wasn't the right thing, but they were angered. And they wanted to do the right thing initially, but they weren't going to get their, what they wanted. So now they're just going to go all out against them. But the Lord said, And so they asked the Lord, shall I draw near to battle against the children of my brethren, Benjamin? And the Lord says, go up against him. The Lord never promised that they would be victory that next day. And in fact, there wasn't. So the children of Israel, verse 24, they approached the children of Benjamin on the second day, and Benjamin went out against them from Gabeah on the second day. And now they cut down 18,000 more of the children of Israel, and all these with the sword, and all these drew the sword. You know, perhaps the Lord was getting their attention. You know, now they lose 22, and now 18,000. That's 40,000 men in two days they've lost, and they should have overwhelmed the enemy. But all throughout this time, they weren't really walking with the Lord, except in this battle, there's some semblance of them trying to get back to doing the right thing, but you know, there's so much stuff that they've been involved in, and God, for reasons we don't always know, allowed them to go through this humiliating defeat when it should have been a very quick operation. Then all the children of Israel, verse 26, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God, and they wept, and they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And, and I can imagine God's heart right now just really warming up, you know, loving these people, even though they've been doing such horrible things, and now when they really need something, now they're devoted. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever found yourself being that way? That when you really want something, boy, then your prayer life gets really serious. But up until then, you're just kind of like, eh. I know people like that. Remember 9-11? When 9-11 happened, I had people lined up outside my cube at Xerox, people who knew I was a Christian, wanting to know what the Bible had to say about what just happened. They knew something was up. But until then, they had no relationship with the Lord. They didn't even care to know. But now they're weeping. Now they want answers. And thank God they were that way. I'm, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that usually when we're wounded, that's usually the time we start to squeal and we start to come to the Lord. And, you know, the Lord allows that. He allows that to get our attention. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, and the Ark of the Covenant, it says, of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, you might want to underline this. Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord says, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver it them into your hand. This Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, was the same Aaron, or the same person, back in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 25, where he thrust through that, that uh, uh man from Israel who brought in a a woman from one of the Canaanite cities, uh, a woman that he shouldn't have been with, and he committed the lewdness right in front of Israel. This is while they were still in the the desert before they came into the promised land. So this is the same man. So this has to be back in the beginning of the time of Judges, because if you put it chronologically after Samson, it it doesn't make any sense because this is the same guy. So this is um, a, a period of time, close to the beginning of Judges when all of this that we're reading tonight happened. Does that make sense? Because you can just do the, figure that out and it makes sense. So, but now, notice now, they go up to the Lord and he says, not only will, not only should you go up, but guess what? Here's the promise. You're not going to lose any more guys, or at least not very many, and I'm going to give you victory over them. And so they did. So then Israel, verse 29, set men in ambush all around Gibeah. And we're going to see a battle strategy here tonight that we're not going to go there tonight, but I would encourage you to write down in the margin of your Bible after this verse, Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 through 23. And basically what's going to happen, if you read that, you're going to find a very similar battle strategy that now the Israelites are figuring out. They're going, this worked one other time in history, not too long ago. Couple hundred years prior, maybe this battle plan worked. And basically, what it is is they were going to ambush the city. So uh, here's Gabeah. If you look up here at me, here's the city of Gabeah. The, the Israelites will come after uh, Gabeah and would draw out and then turn around and run as they have done the last couple of days. And then the Benjamites will come after them. And unbeknownst to the Benjamites, there's going to be a whole other group of guys coming down and attacking the city. And they're going to kill everybody in it and set the place on fire. And when their smoke starts to ascend, then the guys out in the field who are running from the Benjamites are going to turn around and start chasing those guys. And they're going to see the fire from their city and realize this is not looking good. Right? They'll realize what happened. The same exact strategy happened, if you remember, when Israel, when they first came into the land, into the Promised Land, they attacked Jericho, remember? And the very next city was Ai. And they did the very same thing. God gave them that plan. And the young men in West Point and all these different military schools, this is a strategy they must understand. If you're going to go to war, you've got to know this kind of battle plan, an ambush. And here it is in the Bible. You know, there's really nothing new under the sun, is there? Notice how these men were thinking and learning from what happened in the past. Again, remember how I was talking about how Saul chopped up the oxen and sent it to the different men of Israel to get them to come to war? Where did he learn that from? He learned that from these guys. And where are these guys learning these things? Going back even further in their history At the battle of Ai, they learn this idea. In Ecclesiastes, I love what Solomon said. He says, that which has been, that which has been is what will be. And that which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's important that we learn from the past. And it's important that we learn and that we know the truth and that we share that truth with those around us that we love, especially our kids, our grandkids. Share with them the things that you've learned. Share with them the heartaches, the things that have broken your heart. Share them the failures of your life. Hopefully they won't repeat the same thing again. And if they're smart... And unfortunately, they usually have to go through it themselves. And that's the bitterness of being a parent is to be telling your son or daughter, listen, I I know what it's like being a teenager. I remember those days. And I remember how foolish I was and the things that I did. And my parents said, Johnny, don't you do that because you know what's going to happen to you. Oh, no, Mom, I'll do a lot better. (laughs) Thanks, though. See you around midnight. Uh, Mr. Kellogg, uh, your daughter's in jail. Um, and she wants to be bailed out. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know anybody by that name. Bye. No. No. But people, unfortunately, we don't learn. We don't learn from our mistakes. And it's important that we tell those things, our successes and our failures, with our kids, with our grandkids, with everyone, really, Share them. May we, and, and, and there's a really ugly thing. There's a, a gentleman by the name of George Santayana, who was a Spanish philosopher and a poet, and he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. If we don't learn from our past, we are condemned to repeat it, and we see it happening every single day, don't we? And boy, it's frustrating being a human being imagine how frustrating it must be for God? I'm sure he's not frustrated because he sees all things. He, he, he can't learn anything. You and I are frustrated because we see the same thing happening over and over again within our own lives, within our own family members. And no matter what you do, it's like you, you pray and you tell them and you pray and you tell them and you watch them step in the same thing that you stepped in and you see them going through the same consequences and your heart is breaking. You're just like, if they would have only listened. And therein lies the human nature. Verse 30. And the children of Israel, they went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day, and they put themselves in battle array against Gabeah, as at other times. And so think of how cocky now the the men of Benjamin are. They see the Israelites, there's 40,000 of them less than the day before. And they're thinking to themselves, ah, we'll just do the same thing. They're lining up just like they've done the last couple of days. We'll just do the same thing. Repeat. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. So the children of Benjamin, verse thirty-one, they went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people, as at other times in the highways, one of which goes to Bethel and the other to Gibeah and in the field about thirty men. So they got about thirty men of Israel. And I love the details in the scripture. You realize this is not just some allegory. Do you realize and understand that you are reading history? Some people talk about the Bible as if it's just a bunch of stories. Like Jonah and the whale, or whatever that fish was. We don't know if it's a whale. The Bible doesn't say it was a whale. It's a large fish of some kind. could have been a whale. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. David and Goliath. All of these stories, we, we, you know, in Sunday school, they teach them, and not here, but in some schools and some churches, they teach them, oh, these are just cute little stories to learn something by. No, this is real history, folks. Remember that it's history. It's history. And why is it there? That we might be encouraged, that we might grow, that we might learn, right? So the children of Benjamin, verse thirty one, they went out against the people and were drawn away. Oh I read that verse. About thirty men of Israel they they killed. And verse thirty two it says, And the children of Benjamin said, They are defeated before us as at the first. So they're thinking themselves, rinse, repeat. Wash, wince, repeat. They're just thinking, just do the same thing over and over again. And the children of Benjamin said, they are defeated before us as at the first. But the children of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highway. So all the men of Israel rose from their place. They put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. And then Israel's men, in ambush, they burst forth from their position in the plain of uh, of Geba. And the 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce, but the Benjamites did not know that disaster was come upon them. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites, all those that drew the sword. All those that drew the sword. And so when you do the math of this, I I love this about the Bible and some of the numbers. They started off with 26,700. They've now been reduced by that number, 25,100, which leaves about 1,600, maybe 900 of them left. An entire tribe almost wiped out. These are men. You need men for children, right? You also need ladies too, but if there's no men, guess what? The tribe is not going to go on. It's going to end abruptly. So... So the children of Israel, or children of Benjamin, excuse me, verse 36, saw that they were they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied. So right now, uh, verse 36 on below is going to describe all the things that happened to get to that point where they had defeated them by 25,100. So we're going to see a tally here in just a moment. So the children of Israel, I keep saying that, the children of Benjamin, they saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed against Gibeah. So here's the story of what happened. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city. So that was the same thing we see in Joshua chapter 8. Same kind of battle plan. Draw out the inhabitants of the city, send an ambush behind the city, come in, kill everybody, burn the city. As the smoke was going up, now the guys turn around, and now these men are sandwiched in between. It's a really awful place to be if you are an enemy and that is happening to you. Verse 39, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them. And can you imagine their horror as the whole city was going up in smoke to heaven? And I wonder if some of them are thinking, oh, if we had just read the book of Joshua. (laughs) Who knows if it was in written form at this time? You know, maybe it wasn't. But certainly the history was there. Certainly they knew about it. And boy, that tactic is really useful at times, especially when your enemy has fallen asleep. They still use it today. It's a great battle plan if you can catch your enemy off guard. And when the men, verse 41... When the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked. And you can imagine why. For they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. And So they surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, easily trampled, trampled them down as far as the front of Gabea toward the east. And, and notice, here, here is the the, the, the the tally, if you will, to get to that 25,100 that were slain of, of Benjamin. It says, 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All of these were men of valor. Verse 45, then they turned and they fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, which is a very uh, great place. It's like a fortress area. And if you're hiding from your enemy, it's a great place to do it. And so, it's sort of like the rock city of Petra, perhaps. Something that seems impregnable. Some place where you could go, like David did when he fled from Saul. He went to, you know, En Gedi, and the place where there's a lot of rocks. Very rocky. Very treacherous area. So they cut down. They, uh, some turned toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them r- relentlessly up to Gidom, and killed 2,000 of them. So, all the who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000, really 25,100 men who drew the sword. And all these were men of valor. All these were men of valor. And you think about all these men. Think about how many thousands, tens of thousands on both sides now that have died because of the rebellion of the tribe of Benjamin. They could have just given up the men who did this awful wicked deed, but they were proud in their heart. And whether it's a person or a nation, pride, there's never any good fruit that comes out of a life that is bent on pride. Uh, A life that is proud, that is bent on, uh, on, um, 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 on prideful things is always a life that is up for trouble and heartache. It's better for us to humble ourselves. Didn't Jesus say, I will humble those who exalt themselves and I will exalt those who... I'll humble those who are exalted and exalt those who are humble. The way up is down. For us to show strength is not meeting might with might, but rather humbling ourselves. It's totally unworldly.